Christ is risen. Happy Mother's Day. Um, today we uh, read in the Gospels uh, that we are to follow the true light, Christ as the, as the true light. And of course, this, this true light is Christ, and he comes to reveal to us the light of the Father and to teach us who the Father is. Um, but as St. Athanasius tells us, that sometimes um, we can't see the sun, but we can see the moon, and we can see that the moon just reflects the light of the sun. So that when we're in the darkness of this world, and we can't imagine that there is a sun, we look up, we see the moon, and we know that the moon, that the sun is there because the moon is reflecting its light back to us. And so he says that we're supposed to be like the moon. We're supposed to reflect the sun, the light of God, in the darkness of this world. <laughs> Child issues. And of course, when you put both of those things together, the fact that we're supposed to reflect the light, and we think about all the people in the world who have reflected the light of Christ, the person that comes to mind the most, especially on Mother's Day, is St. Mary, the one who reflected the light of Christ so perfectly. And in both Orthodox and Catholic churches, there's such great reverence for St. Mary, and a lesser degree in the Protestant faith. But sometimes you have to ask yourself, there's, we seem to do a lot for St. Mary, especially in the Orthodox Church. We have a two-week fast dedicated to her. We build churches named after St. Mary. There's a feast of the ascension of the body of St. Mary, the feast of her departure. We have a feast of the first church built on her name. We have the feast of her entry into the temple. And we have the feast of the birth of St. Mary. And by the way, we don't celebrate birthdays in the church. We only celebrate three birthdays in the church. Whose birthdays do we celebrate? Jesus, good. St. Mary and St. John the Baptist, because the three of them are directly related to the salvation. So when you look at all these feasts and all these fasts, you think to yourself, isn't this a bit much? Is this a lot? How do I respond to someone to say, why are you celebrating St. Mary so much when we should be focused on Christ? And we should be focused on the salvific work of Christ and what Christ did for us. Isn't it better to be speaking about Christ than about St. Mary? And of course, that makes a lot of sense. So who's more important, Christ or St. Mary? And we should be talking about him and not her. But the problem is I can't really speak about Christ and the salvation he accomplished for us without really talking about St. Mary and thinking about her. In fact, it's kind of impossible to disentangle the two. I can't talk about one without the other. And we can't talk about salvation without thinking about what St. Mary did to fulfill that. So let's kind of think about salvation. What happened when Adam sinned? Let's go back to the beginning. We say that corruption entered into the world. And this corruption entered into the world. Clearly, it corrupted our bodies. Our body is now subject to disease, both genetic and environmental, and it's also subject to death. But Adam's sin didn't just corrupt the flesh, our flesh alone. It corrupted all of us as human beings. It corrupted every part of us that makes us a person. It corrupted our emotions, our thoughts, our intentions, our feelings, our mentality, our humanity as a whole. All parts of us got corrupted, not just the body. And so Christ, the incorruptible, he comes and he unites with us, and we become a part of his flesh. So his incorruption... We, we take on his incorruption, and he gives us his incorruption by uniting us with him. 
And so he needed to take my human flesh because he didn't want to defeat corruption and death alone. He wanted to give it to us, to human beings. So he took flesh and he defeated Satan in the flesh, in his humanity. And he became a perfect human being just like all of us and then defeated Satan in that same body just like all of us. But Christ doesn't want to just defeat Satan himself. He wants me to defeat Satan, right? It's kind of like when your son comes and says, someone's picking on me at school. You can't just show up and beat the kid up, you know, as much as a a dad you'd like to. You have to tell your son, well, this is how you have to stop him from picking on you, right? I could defeat this eight-year-old, but that's not fun. I need you to learn how to defeat the eight-year-old. And so Christ wants my humanity to defeat Satan, not just his. So he unites his divinity with me, with my humanity, and says, I want you to defeat Satan through me. I can do great things through Christ who strengthens me. And so we say he gives us the authority to trample on serpents and scorpions and every power of the enemy. Right? He wants us to defeat. And so he empowers my humanity, all of it, not just my flesh, but my emotions and my thoughts and my conscience, to think about and how to defeat Satan. Every aspect of my humanity is called to defeat Satan. And so let's go back to St. Mary. There's this beautiful quote. One of the fathers says, Her hands steadied the first steps of him who for us steadied the earth to walk upon, and her lips helped the word of God to form his first human words. Look at the imagery. St. Mary took and steadied this little baby, who couldn't walk, and she she helped him walk. And we say, this baby who steadied the world for us. And then we say that St. Mary helped the word of God form his first words. And so let's talk about St. Mary, the Theotokos. First of all, what does the word Theotokos mean? We always use that word. We don't use the, the English translation. So it means a couple of things. Theo means God, and tokos means the bearer of, the one who gave birth to Christ, to God. And there's an important uh, theological reason why we say she's the birth giver of God and that he did not become Christ, did not become God after the incarnation, but in fact she gave birth to him as God. And so let's think about her role in creation in salvation, in humanity, her role as a mother. So interestingly, in the Quran, in Islam, it says that Jesus spoke as a baby from the cradle. That when he was in the cradle, he used to speak. What do you think, true or false? As a Christian, I have to say false. Because if he spoke as a baby, as an infant, then he wasn't a human being. Right? Human beings don't speak when they're a month old. So that would mean he's not a real person. And in the final confession, we say that his life-giving flesh came from St. Mary, that his humanity is perfect and his divinity is perfect, without mingling, without alteration, without confusion, which means his humanity was complete and he was not a superhuman. He was a human being like me. He learned how to speak like me. He learned how to walk like me. He made mistakes like me. Not sins, mistakes. You know, he touched something hot, you know, all the things, right? So what's St. Mary's role in this humanity of Jesus? Do you think that St. Mary's role was simply to carry him for nine months? That's it? Just 
an incubator for a few months, and that's all she did, just carry him and then feed him. If we say that Jesus was a complete and perfect person, except for sin, that means everything else came normally, naturally, the way it happens for all of us. So then we can also say that she taught him, didn't she? After teaching in the temple, it says, and Jesus grew in wisdom and stature in the favor of God and man. And so how did he grow in wisdom and stature? Can we say that St. Mary taught him? She completed his humanity. She made him into the perfect human being in every aspect of his life. When kids picked on him at school, did St. Mary come and comfort him? Maybe give him some advice? Give him a, a different way to think about things? She was there. She was his mom. In every perfect way, a mom is there. And she taught him his wisdom. In fact, she was needed to perfect his humanity as a person, to make him completely human. She raised him as every mother raises her children. And if Christ was, all, was born all-knowing and all-powerful and knew everything, then his humanity was a fake humanity. He couldn't have been born knowing everything because then he wouldn't be a person like me and you. In the fraction on the feast days, we say, who, he who grew little by little, according to the form of men, who grew little by little, just like the natural process of growth that happens for all of us. It's not just, mental, it's not just physical, it's mental, it's social, it's psychological, intellectual. Where'd this come from? From his mom. One writer says, the Virgin Mary did not merely nourish his body. She and Joseph taught Jesus everything. It was by looking at their faces, leaning over the crib, that Jesus learned how to laugh and smile. It was by listening to their conversations that he learned how to speak. He who made a paralytic walk required the help of his parents to take his first steps. He who from the very start knew that he was the beloved son of God needed his parents to teach him how to pray. And there's a story in the gospel once when Christ was teaching and this woman shouts out, blessed is the woman that gave birth to you and the breast at which you nursed. It's interesting. This woman saw Jesus, saw this amazing man and thought, you must have an amazing mom. And how did Christ respond? It's an interesting response. He said, blessed rather are those who hear the word of God and keep it. That's an interesting response. Was he taking away from her glory? Was he insulting his mom? No, it's the opposite. He was adding to her glory. He's saying not only did she give birth to me and she's not only the one who nursed me and, and bore me, but her spiritual characteristics are the, one who, are the ones that taught me. And he's complimenting her. Blessed are those who hear the word of God and keep it. It's like she didn't just give birth to me and feed me. You have no idea who this woman is. And so St. Mary isn't holy just because she gave birth to Christ. She's holy. She was chosen to give birth because she was holy. And so to become holy, we're called to participate in the death of Christ. And we're called to suffer because of our Christian faith in one way or another. This is what we do as Christians. St. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And this implies some complete surrender to God in the form of a gift to sell ourselves to God, depending on my state in life. And of course, the one person that exemplifies this surrender is the Theotokos. And of course, when we look at St. Mary now, we see her in glory. We see her icons everywhere. We see her glorified. We sing all these hymns to her. 
At the time, didn't she also share in his sufferings? Did she struggle and suffer like the other saints? Was she an ascetic like the monks? Didn't she endure torture and death like the martyrs? I mean, she walked with him until the very end. In fact, Simeon, when he was presented, when Jesus was presented at the temple, he prophesied about St. Mary and said, and a sword will pierce your own soul as well. He looked at her and a sword, he said, a sword will pierce your soul as well to St. Mary. And that's what we say in the ninth hour of the Igbeya, when the mother beheld the lamb and shepherd and savior of the world hanging upon a cross, she said, weeping, the world rejoices in that has received salvation, but my insides are ablaze when I behold your crucifixion, which you endured for the sake of us all, my son and my God. This is the litany we say in the ninth hour. So I can only imagine what St. Mary felt as she witnessed Christ, as she saw him walking, as she saw him crucified, as she saw him dying. And let me ask all the parents in the room a personal question, which is worse, to be martyred or to watch your children be martyred? Everyone knows it's much harder to watch your children. And so I'm called to share in the suffering of Christ during Holy Week, Tell me about her suffering during Holy Week. And of course, when I watched The Passion, I'd never thought about it as much as I saw, as when I saw her in that, in that movie and you just realized, oh my gosh, she was right there. She was watching her son go through all those things. And she gave us an example by remaining by her side until the very end, walking with him in every piece of suffering. And then it was even with the apostles in the upper room when the Pentecost happened. All of this spoke to Mary's fidelity. She got it. She stuck with him. She stuck with her son. And she taught us that motherhood's not just biological, it's mystical. And there was something about her as a person. I want you to listen to this first-hand account from the early century, first century. It says, During the lifetime of the mother of God, St. Dionysius had journeyed from Athens to Jerusalem to meet her. He wrote to his teacher, the Apostle Paul. So St. Dionysius was a a disciple of St. Paul. And he wrote, listen to these words, I witness by God that besides the very God himself, there is nothing else filled with such divine power and grace. No one can fully comprehend what I saw. I confess before God when I was with John, who shone among the apostles like the sun in the sky, that when I was brought before the countenance of the most holy virgin, I experienced an inexpressible sensation. Before me gleamed a sort of divine radiance which transfixed my spirit. I perceived the fragrance of indescribable aromas and was filled with such delight that my very body became faint and my spirit could hardly endure these signs and marks of eternal majesty and heavenly power. The grace from her overwhelmed my heart and shook my very spirit. If I did not have in mind your instruction, I should have mistaken her for the very God. It is impossible to stand before greater blessedness than that which I beheld. This is his account after meeting St. Mary. And so we don't know much about her, but we have these glimpses of her and her motherhood. Little pieces like when she told all the servants to obey him at the wedding of Cana of Galilee and how she stood by his side at the cross and how as soon as she found out she was pregnant, she went racing over to Elizabeth who found, and when she found out she was pregnant to serve her and to help her even though she was also pregnant. And so we see her not giving up on her kids. 
We see her standing at the foot of the cross and watching. Watching as her adult child gets executed, gets humiliated, gets embarrassed. And sometimes we see examples of parents giving up on their kids. When the kids revolt and rebel sometimes, we see parents dis disowning their children, walking away from them, embarrassed of them because of what their friends may think. Can you imagine the stares that St. Mary got at the foot of the cross from other people? The looks of disgust up and down, even the harsh words and the curses she probably endured while standing at the cross. Think of the humiliation of watching your son get executed for a crime. And how many parents refuse to visit their kids when their kids go to jail? And would they follow their kids to the electric chair and watch? This sort of enduring love is exemplary for Christian mothers. Children get into trouble, sometimes for the right reasons, sometimes not, sometimes as children and sometimes as adults. And mothers like St. Mary, they stand with their children throughout life, especially when things go bad. And even if they are unable to alter the course of events, they love and support any way they can. Now I'd like to end with a thank you to all the mothers in the room on Mother's Day. The love and sacrifice of a mother for her child is unlike any other relationship. In fact, when God wanted to convey how much he loves humans in the book of Isaiah, he used the love of a mother as a benchmark. Can a mother forget the baby at her breast and have no compassion on the child she has born? Though she may forget, I will not forget you. It's like God took the greatest love he could find on earth and then said, I love you even more than that. When the Communist Party took hold of Russia in 1917, there's a violent anti-religious campaign that began. Over 100,000 clergy were shot or sent to labor camps. Seminaries were closed, religious literature banned, and atheism publicly exalted. By 1939, only about 100 churches remained in all of Russia. The other 60,000 or so were confiscated, desecrated, and turned into everything from museums to warehouses to public bathrooms. Yet by 2011, 20 years, less than 20 years after the collapse of the Soviet Union, Russia has emerged as the most God-fearing nation in the world. A survey uh, in Europe, sorry, a survey of religious practice showed that Russia has 82% of her people believing in God, 20 years after communism fell. How? After 70 years of very brutal persecution, actively persecuting the church by the state, how did Russian Orthodoxy stand? The Russian people and the church knew the answers, the babushkas. It was these older mothers and grandmothers, the babushkas, they preserved the church. They fed the kids on the faith. They taught them in secret. They trained the next generation of clergy when those clergy were still children. They taught them everything and they never gave in. Instead, they quietly passed on the faith to the children and prayed in secret. So that Russia, despite the violent hostility of those bleak years, the babushkas never yielded and they never gave in. So on this Mother's Day as an Orthodox community, let's remember this love, 
heartfelt fidelity of our living and or reposed mothers, grandmothers, godmothers, spiritual mothers, and all those women who help us and tend to our souls. Let us recognize them in the love of God as it came to Jesus Christ and as he fills our hearts from the hearts and hands of the mother of God and those earthly mothers. So today as we reflect on the light of Christ, we reflect on the moon's and the brightest moon of all the moons of any moon that has ever existed is the Theotokos. I want to end with this poem on motherhood. There is no love like a mother's love, no stronger bond on earth, like the precious bond that comes from God to a mother when she gives birth. A mother's love is forever strong, never changing all the time, and when her children need her most, a mother's love will shine. God bless these special mothers. God bless them, everyone, for all the tears and heartache and for, and for the special work they've done. When her days on earth are over, a mother's love lives on through many generations with God's blessings on each one. Be thankful for our mothers, for they love with a higher love from the power God has given and the strength from up above. And glory be to God forever. Amen.